We're starting a, a new summer sermon series on the parables of Jesus. We're taking a break from our, um, our what, is, what do we call it, letters from prison. Yeah, we're taking a break from that. We're going to pick that up in, in the fall and September as we jump into Colossians and finish Colossians verse by verse and then into Philemon. And we'll be finished with our letters from prison um, series in the fall. But we thought for the summer, we're going to take a little bit of a, a, a detour, take a break and look at some parables of Jesus. And we're going to have different people through the summer teaching and sharing. It's not going to just be me, so it's going to be exciting. And we're going to just take some, you know, different parables and uh, discuss them, break them down and just kind of teach through them. What are some, some parables that come to mind? What are some favorite parables that you have? Shout out some parables for me here. Prodigal son. Seed sower, thank you. All right. Seed sower, yeah. What else? Pardon me? The wedding feast, good one. What are some other parables that come to mind, the ones that you like? The pearl, yes. Tears them on the wheat, yeah. Ten virgins, yes. I think a lot of those we're going to be touching on. Uh, and uh, we're going to be, yeah, we're going to be hitting a few. If there's like a, a favorite parable that you're hoping to really hear, come and send me an email, let me know. Uh, I, I think most of them were picked for the Sundays through the summer, but there's still like uh, maybe one or two open Sundays that we're still going, we're praying still about what parable to cover there. So if you've got a favorite you want to really see, uh, taught, let us know. That'd be great. But so today we're going to just kind of intro parables. We're going to we're going to look at the purpose of parables. And in that, today, we're going to be focusing on Matthew 13, and we're going to break it down looking at kind of reflections on parables and just sort of introing these. We're going to look at reasons for parables and then the results of parables. And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at as we break down chapter 13. Now, parables are, are fun because they convey a spiritual truth alongside a story with an everyday earthly kind of context to it. That's what the very name parables mean. It comes from two Greek words, para and balo. Para meaning alongside, just like you'd have a, a paralegal that comes alongside a, a lawyer helping or a paramedic that comes alongside somebody and assists them medically. That's the word para. But then balo means to cast, to throw, or to hurl. So parable means to come alongside Casting a truth ultimately within earth. They've often been kind of referred to as earthly stories with heavenly meanings. That's a, a way that you can look at it. Vine's Dictionary defines a parable as a placing of one thing beside another with a view to comparison. So we'll see a lot of that in the parables that we go through. See, the idea is that through these short stories, and the parables are oftentimes very short, but through these short stories, Jesus, the, the master storyteller, is casting some very important and relevant truth. But he's casting these truths kind of coded in this story that oftentimes people would really just grasp the earthly context. They'd hear a story, but then not always catch the truth. They weren't always picking up what was being thrown down. It's kind of like... You know, when my wife was having a birthday one year and started leaving some magazines around the house with, you know, 
jewelry magazines. And everywhere I went, I'm kind of seeing magazines placed there with, you know, pictures of jewelry. And I started to realize, I think she's trying to cast a message my way. So for her birthday, I, I built her a magazine rack. And yeah, I thought that would help out with all the magazines she's leaving around. Probably didn't quite catch the, the right message. But that's the idea here. The parables is that Jesus is casting alongside here these truths and these messages. Now, Jesus isn't the first person to use parables. He's not the creator of, well, he's the creator of all things, but he's not the first person to speak in parables. In fact, we see parables a few times being used in the Old Testament. Does anybody, can anybody think of a parable that was used in the Old Testament? Anybody have any ideas? Pardon me? Nathan. Who said Nathan? You did? And you did. Oh, man, you guys get the prize. The, the, the only service to get that. That's a good job. So remember, Nathan, the prophet, comes to David after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and then went and had her husband killed. And Nathan comes to David and he tells this story. He said, David, there's two men that lived in the city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had plentiful of flocks. The poor man only had one little ewe lamb that he had raised up and it was like family to him. Well, a traveler comes into the town and the rich man goes and he takes this poor man's one ewe lamb to feed the traveler instead of taking it from the plentiful of flocks that he had. And David hears this and he's incensed at that. He said, this guy must pay fourfold. And Nathan says, David, you are that man. See, through a parable, through a story, Nathan was communicating a truth that at first David was missing out on. He caught the earthy, the, 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 the relevant context of it in an earthy way, but he failed to catch the deeper meaning to it here. So parables were used in the Old Testament, but primarily we see them being used in the New Testament. In the Gospels, Jesus spoke often in and through parables. Now, Matthew chapter 13 is a very pivotal chapter in the flow of the Gospels and in the flow of Jesus' life and ministry. In chapter 13, we have eight parables alone. By the way, any guesses as to how many parables there are in the Gospels? Throw out some, some answers. And, and I know this is random. Don't, don't, I'm not expecting anybody to get the right answer. How many parables would you say there are in the Gospels? Seven? In John? Pardon me? Twelve? What are some other guesses? Over 30. Who said over 30? Okay. Pardon me? Over 30? Okay. At least two. Good answer. That's not a wrong answer. That's good. So that's a very wise answer right there. Uh, and ultimately, I don't really know how many parables there are. I was hoping maybe somebody would come confidently and say, there's this many, Brian. I'd say, yes, you're right. Thank you. Uh, and I would act like I knew it all along. Uh, we, see, here's the thing is that we don't really know how many parables there are because the criteria used to really define what a parable is can, can kind of change. Some people have different you know, criteria to list what a parable is. Now, um, some have, have said that there's upwards of you know, 46 parables in the Gospels. And maybe between 60 to 65 parables in the whole of the Bible. I think it's in the Old Testament parables. We don't know. I've seen, I've seen multiple lists of parables given, and they all range from like 30 to like 40 or 46. And again, it all depends on kind of the criteria. So anyways, more than two. Over 30, I believe, is a good answer. 
those all work. So there are many parables, and yet I, I think probably all of us would have thought, oh man, 40 parables in the Gospels? There's no way there's that many. But there's a lot of parables. In fact, about 35% of Jesus' recorded sayings were spoken in the form of a parable. So Jesus, you know, a third of what he said was spoken through parables. And like I said, Matthew chapter 13 is quite a pivotal chapter because Jesus is going about sharing and ministering, but he's experiencing this opposition coming his way. The religious leaders are now really openly challenging Jesus. And they're, they're questioning the legitimacy of Jesus because they're looking at Jesus going, I mean, chapter 12 lays out that, you know, he's kind of going a, against the Sabbath to some, they're, they're questioning Jesus's observance of the Sabbath. And they're going, this can't be, you know, the, the Messiah. This can't be the guy. And there's opposition coming against Jesus. Jesus didn't go against any Mosaic law. He didn't um, breaking the Mosaic law, but he was certainly going against and bucking against their own interpretation, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the way that they interpreted the law, and they added so much other burdens to it. Jesus went against those things, and he said, you guys are missing the very heart of the law. And so they start getting all riled up, and there's this opposition that Jesus is facing, so much so that it says in Matthew 12, 14, that the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So here's Jesus, the son of God, the, the, the very king of kings, coming with a good word, coming and healing and delivering people, doing a great work. And the Pharisees are going, we got to kill this guy. I mean, this is some serious stuff that's going on in chapter 12 and the opposition. See, things are coming to a head. There are forces at work. You have the kingdom of Satan at work in the world and the, uh, and the people that are being led ultimately by Satan, and it's coming and hitting head on this kingdom of God that's being ushered in and through Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God was not a new concept. This is not something that Jesus was teaching in, a, in a, a new way or something that was unheard of before. Jews were and have been expecting this. See, at the time that Jesus is ministering, Israel's under Roman rule. They're under the the, the thumb of Rome, and they're waiting to break free from this kind of oppression and rule by Rome. And they're waiting for their Messiah, the promised one, but they're looking to their Messiah to be the one that's going to usher in the kingdom of God when Israel would be independent as a nation again, and that, and that rule of God would reign supreme. This is what they've been waiting for. They've been expecting this. And so when Jesus comes back in Matthew 4, 17, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, people are perking up. They're getting excited. They're going, ah, we've been waiting for this. This word is breaking through these 400 years of silence that has been through between the Old and the New Testament when God was not having a prophetic voice publicly speaking out. And so suddenly repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're going, this is great. This is what we've been waiting for. Some are filled with faith and excitement and yet others are filled with doubt and cynicism. And that becomes very apparent when you read the account of Matthew in Matthew 12 of Jesus delivering a man of demon possession. Look at Matthew 12, starting in verse 24 with me. If you got your Bibles, just turn over there. I know I said get to Matthew 13. We'll get to that. But 
we're seeing this very important transition taking place right now between Matthew 12 and then into Matthew 13. It says in Matthew 12, verse 24, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow, speaking of Jesus, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, Listen, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city of house or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, Jesus couldn't be any more clear here. And yet we'll see this continued opposition and resistance grow toward Jesus and this rivalry of kingdoms. That Jesus says, the two kingdoms cannot you know, be divided against itself or else they're both gonna fall. Jesus says, there's the kingdom of Satan. He doesn't resist or he doesn't deny that. He says, but I'm bringing in something new. I'm not working on behalf of Satan. I'm bringing in the kingdom of God right now. So now in Matthew 13, we see Jesus begin to use many parables. And, and he begins these parables seven times in Matthew 13. Here's how he begins these parables. The kingdom of heaven is like. He's wanting to communicate that this kingdom of heaven is before them, it's at hand, and I want to reveal what this kingdom is gonna look like, what it's going to be like. So Jesus speaks in these parables to cast a truth now about the kingdom of God or about the king or about the subjects of the kingdom along now with this applicable story based on relevant earthly pictures of the day to grab attention, but we'll also see why he does this in a little bit. See, these parables, interestingly, did not cast this truth on the surface. It was not something that was just like, hey, you want, you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? Here's what it's going to be like. It would be very easy for Jesus just to say, this is what it's like. You got to grasp this. But he doesn't do that. I'm gonna, he, he goes, he speaks in parables because he's kind of coding this truth with this earthly kind of message. Now, why would he do that? We'll, we'll get to that in a minute here. But Matthew 13, I think right at the beginning of it, I think really paints the picture for us of what's really going on in an outward way, what kind of the, the climate of the, the land and the time and of Jesus's ministry is like. Notice what we read here in Matthew 13. It says this, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea, Sea of Galilee, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, I'm gonna stop right there. So interesting scene, and I want you to catch this here. Because on the same day, the same day is what the same day is what we just read in chapter 12, where what's happening? Opposition, rejection of Jesus. On the same day, he says, it says, he went out of the house. And where does he go? He goes to the sea. The sea is oftentimes in scripture used as kind of a, a metaphor, a picture of the Gentile nations. Now, perhaps I'm reading too much into this, but it seems to indicate that there's this real 
shift that's taking place. The kingdom of God would not be established just for the house of Israel or the nation of Israel, but it'll be a work that's going to encompass the whole of the world. Here we see as Jesus sat on a boat in the sea that the multitudes came to him. People from all different backgrounds. See, these parables that Jesus used are meant to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom of God and how it's going to begin to unfold on the earth after Israel's rejection of her king and the kingdom. It's going to look very differently than what Israel was expecting it to be. In fact, Israel's going to miss out on a lot of it because they rejected Jesus. But Jesus didn't just come for the house of Israel. In fact, here we see he's leaving the house. He's leaving the house of Israel to go and reach a broader audience now that are going to be a part of this kingdom. Well, let's take a look at this first parable in Matthew 13. It's often referred to as what? The parable of the sower. But I think a more fitting title is the parable of the soils because we begin to look at kind of the condition now of the human heart and who's going to be receptive and open to being a part of this kingdom of heaven. Look at verse three of Matthew 13. Again, he spoke to them, uh, or he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away and some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in this day, Jesus gives this parable now of a sower going out and, and planting seed. And in this day when everybody's very familiar with this agrarian society, this would be a story that immediately had relevance to many people. For us, we're like, what is he talking about? I don't know anything about gardening, right? But Jesus, you see, he's talking a whole lot more than just gardening tips for you. If you want to have a good crop, here's like, he's not just giving people lessons on gardening. He's looking to use an illustration, an earthy story that people were very familiar with in, their, in this day, but also to cast alongside para, cast alongside this spiritual truth along with it. And interesting, Jesus didn't begin this parable with the kingdom of heaven is like, as he does with the rest of the seven parables in chapter 13. But this parable is nonetheless illustrating for us kingdom principles. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus finished saying these words that we just read here, the disciples came to him and they begin to ask him, Jesus, why do you speak to us in parables? I'm sure they themselves would all come to Jesus saying, Jesus, great story, man, loved it. I'm going to be planting my seed differently. But, uh, you know, uh, Peter's wondering what you meant by that, you know. Nobody's wanting to admit that they're not getting it. But like, why do, you, why do you speak to us in parables? What's really going on here? And Jesus said something interesting. And um, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus in Mark's gospel um, yeah, I'm trying to think if he said it in this one here in Matthew. But in Mark's gospel, he says, how 
are you going to understand all the parables if you don't understand this parable? In other words, Jesus, I think, was using this parable to sort of give a bit of a key to unlocking the truths in the other parables. And it's what Jesus goes on to share regarding now the reason for parables. So let's, let's look at this a little bit more here. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 11. And, and again, verse, let me, um, verse 10. Disciples asked that question. They came and said, and why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11. He answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Clear as day, right? <laughs> Some interesting stuff here that Jesus is saying. We're listening to that going, uh-huh, okay, yes. I absolutely get it, Jesus, right. We'll explain this a little bit here, but parables, he says, they're revealing the mysteries of heaven. And biblically, remember, Mysteries are not something for us to try to decode and figure out by following the right clues. A mystery, biblically, is something that was once concealed but is now revealed. And it's revealed by divine revelation to those who are now in Christ. We've been made new in Christ. So suddenly now we begin to see things a little bit differently and more clearly to where things that were once kind of hidden to us have now been opened up. And we understand what was once something that was like Paul talks about the mystery of the church in, in Ephesians. We talked about that as we went through letters from prison and we went through Ephesians. In the Old Testament, people are wondering, there was a mystery that like bringing people together in the law, how's that going to work? Suddenly now in the New Testament, people have begun to see that God's drawn Jew and Gentile together. He's making up a new humanity, the church, the bride of Christ. This mystery began to be much more clear to those who are in Christ. So he's revealing these mysteries of heaven now. So these parables, they're revealing these aspects, ultimately, of the kingdom. Things that weren't previously understood fully. Namely, that the kingdom would be advancing by a very small seed. This parable here, sower goes out to scatter seed. Seed's very small, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 14 reveals that that seed is the word of God. It's the word of God. So through the word that is being spoken, the gospel that's being mentioned, the kingdom of heaven is beginning to grow. You see, it's not going to be this forcible advancement of a political kingdom as the Jews were all expecting it to be. Our Messiah is going to come. He's going to be a political leader that's going to just wipe out Rome and usher in this glorious kingdom where once again we'll be an independent nation. They were expecting that, but that's not the way that the kingdom of God was going to unfold. It's going to come by a very small seed that's going to be spoken, gospel proclaimed, and that is going to gradually take root and grow fruit in the hearts of God's people. That's why the image of a seed was so practical and true. See, many believe that this is why Matthew uses the term kingdom 
of heaven rather than the more familiar term kingdom of God as was used in the other gospels. Now, first of all, Matthew speaking to a very Jewish audience that didn't like even saying or writing the name God. So some people believe that Matthew was using that term kingdom of heaven to respect the Jews here in that. But also many believe that he was using this term here. Uh, well, let me just read it. These terms are definitely synonymous and, and interchangeable, but Matthew, by using this term kingdom of heaven, is implying that the kingdom was more about a spiritual reign of God that would take root in the hearts of his people. And that this would be an interim form of the kingdom before the physical kingdom would be established on earth. Don't get me wrong. We are expecting and awaiting Jesus' return at his second coming after the tribulation. Where we've already been in heaven, raptured up, been with him in heaven. He's going to come back again physically with us at his side. And he's going to usher in the millennial 1,000 year reign of Christ on this earth. That's going to be the kingdom where the earth is going to be restored. It's going to be great. And that's going to take place physically, no doubt. But in the interim, it's taking root in a much different way. But no doubt the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is every bit alive right now as Jesus begins to rule and reign in the hearts of his people. That's the idea, the, the parable of the soils as the seed is going out. Some are gonna have receptive soil that's gonna receive it. Others are gonna have this hard pan soil where birds come and just pluck it away or it's gonna be on rocky soil where it's not gonna be able to have roots to grow or for some people, their hearts are gonna be more likened to the, the, the thorns that grow up and it chokes out that seed. There's other things in their life that they're kind of living for and it takes away that focus being on the Lord. But for some, they're going to receive and there's going to be dynamic growth that's going to come. Jesus says that those who hear and understand, guess what? They're going to gain even more. But those who have not been open to receive these things, like the Pharisees in chapter 12, who I believe he's speaking to in verse 11 when he says, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it's not been given. He's speaking of the, I believe, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, those that had, had kind of hardened their heart now to receiving Jesus. In fact, not just hard in their heart, but saying, oh, this guy must be working in cahoots with Satan. That's a pretty serious accusation to make. These were some hard hearts here. Jesus, Jesus says to them, it's not been given. Not that they didn't have opportunity, but he's implying that they closed their heart. They hardened their heart to receive these things. And this is all tied to and fulfilling what Isaiah the prophet had already proclaimed previously. Where in Isaiah we read that some are hearing but not hearing. And some are seeing but not seeing. Now that's confusing stuff, isn't it? How does somebody hear but not hear? The idea is that some people were hardening their heart to the truth. That's why when Jesus says in verse 9 of Matthew 13, he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Well, he's looking at everybody. I don't think there are people in the audience there where he's going, man, some of you don't have ears. That's unfortunate. But those of you that do have ears, hear. That's not the case. Everybody had ears. But why would he say that? Because he knows that some are going to be hearing, but they're not going to be receiving. They're not going to be understanding. They're not going to be accepting. And that's why Isaiah too, he's told some are hearing, but not hearing. Some will be seeing, but not seeing. 
See, the idea is that, that some people were hardening their heart to the truth. The word of God was going out and it's going out to all people. He's not selecting some, going, you look like you would be a receptive heart here. I'm gonna give you a truth. You over there, nah, I don't think I wanna pass this on to you. The word was going out. The seed was being planted. The seed was being scattered, I should say, to all people. But some people didn't want anything to do with it. And you see, if Jesus continued to reveal this truth in a very clear and plain way, then there would be those that would be held accountable for what they heard and understand and for what they knew and yet would still oppose. See, the more that people openly resisted what Jesus was saying, the more they'd reach a point where their hardened hearts would not allow them to receive the truth of God's word. So Jesus spoke in parables so as to not cause them further condemnation or judgment for the rejecting of God's truth. Parables then were in a sense a show of God's mercy in bringing his message to those who wanted to receive it, but allowing others to walk away thinking they just heard some interesting story without any spiritual ramifications. Think about that, that's very interesting. How Jesus graciously spoke in parables so that some people would hear and go, I think there's more to what Jesus is saying than just gardening tips. I think he's conveying something, Jesus, what does this mean? I want to know more. And others would walk away going, huh, what do I need to know about planting seed? I already know everything. I don't want to, I don't want to even listen to this anymore. And they're going to walk away, but they're not now hardening their heart against spiritual truth because they didn't comprehend it. So parables become something that don't just reveal truth, but they also conceal truth. And they keep people now from hardening their hearts in an even greater way. So again, it all depended upon the condition of the heart, much like what the parable of the soils is conveying to us here. So this is the reason Jesus spoke in parables. Let's look at the results now, lastly, the results of parables. Verse 14 of Matthew 13. Verse 14 says this, and in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For sure I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I love that, that verse 17, where think about how many prophets in the Old Testament were all proclaiming these very things happening and coming, how this Messiah would come. The Son of God would, would emerge, and how many people were desiring to see that but never saw it. And now, Jesus says, you have the extreme privilege of beholding the Messiah, the Son of God, who's communicating before you this very truth. Many desired to see it and to hear it, but never got the chance. 
this people that Jesus is speaking to is a privileged bunch, and yet it's shocking that some still chose to say, no, we gotta figure out a way how to kill this man. And so this message becomes veiled to some degree, not to those that want to understand and hear. Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna press in and they're gonna gain even more like Jesus says. But others are gonna walk away and just continue on in their own objective. Now, Isaiah, again, this is verse 14 and 16 is this whole quotation right out of Isaiah chapter six. And remember in Isaiah six, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Isaiah receives this incredible vision in this year that King Uzziah died. I, Uzziah was a mostly good king, kind of didn't end well. But suddenly in this time where they're wondering, are we gonna see any more good kings emerge? God takes Isaiah above earthly kingdoms and kings to say, I've got something even greater than just earthly thrones and earthly kings. You see, earthly thrones may be unstable. We might see levels of power shift and some rulers good while others are corrupt. Kings will come and kings will go, but Isaiah saw a throne that is never emptied, never unstable, and is always just. And he saw the Lord, the one who is ultimately ruling over all and is in control. So too. As Jesus comes emerging now, preaching the kingdom of heaven, speaking parables, the kingdom of heaven is like, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is not gonna be affected by whatever was taking place on the earth because the Lord is active and he's reigning sovereignly and reigning supremely. Now, to say, as Jesus says there, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and, and, and he goes on to say, and, and, that, and so that I should heal them. It almost sounds like Jesus is saying, uh, I'm purposefully, purposely preventing them from understanding and receiving. It almost sounds like when you read that at face value, it's like, Jesus, why would you not want them to understand or receive this? Now, that's not what's actually going on. When Isaiah saw this great vision, and he's given a question, who shall go for us? Remember Isaiah says, here am I, pick me, right? Donkey from Shuck, pick me, pick me. Saying, here am I, send me. And so Isaiah's like, yes, I wanna go. But then the word comes to Isaiah and he's being told, listen Isaiah, they're gonna be hearing, but not hearing. They're gonna be seeing, but not seeing. Why was that given to Isaiah? What does that mean? Is this kind of like Isaiah being told, listen, I want you to communicate to the people, but do so in a way so that they can't get it. Just keep them in the dark. That's not what's, this isn't the goal for Isaiah. This is rather the word going to Isaiah saying, Isaiah, don't lose heart because the inevitable result is gonna be that you're gonna speak on our behalf, on the Lord's behalf, you're gonna speak on the Lord's behalf and they're gonna hear, but they're not gonna be truly hearing or comprehending or understanding. They're gonna see, but man, their hearts are hard and they're blinded to the truth and they're not gonna be seeing. This isn't the goal for Isaiah, this is the inevitable result. Though Isaiah would come with a message of hope and salvation, 
that people in his day have hardened their hearts. They'd be ever hearing but not understanding. And the more the word went out, the more they rejected. And this judgment was being stored up all the more against them. Why? Because they rejected against the truth. It's a serious thing to hear the truth and to say, "Uh uh-uh. You see, there comes a point where you harden your heart and you harden your heart and you harden your heart, just like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart and says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then what does it say? And God hardened his heart. There comes a point where you harden your heart so much that God says, if that's what you want, then I'm not gonna go against that. I'm gonna give you what you want. And your heart becomes so hard that you no longer can receive the truth. And God is almost, Jesus is almost protecting people through parables. So I don't want people to get to the point where they reject against the truth openly so much to where they no longer can receive it. I'll give truth to those that want to receive it, but I'll do it in a way where others are not hardening their heart against it. It's so gracious and merciful of the Lord to do that. Isaiah would experience that in his day. That's why Jesus quotes this. And in fact, this passage in Isaiah is quoted six times in the New Testament to speak now of this rejection that would inevitably happen by Israel against Jesus. And you see, God does not deliberately make sinners blind, deaf, and hard-hearted, but the more that people resist God's truth, the less likely they are to receive God's truth. But you see, our job is not to worry about that. Our responsibility is to proclaim the gospel to all. We can only bring Christ to men is God who brings men to Christ. And so, just like the parable of the sower and the soils, we go out, we spread the good news that God is here and God wants to save you. God wants you to come into life in him. God wants you to experience the blessedness of kingdom life in him, with him ruling in your very hearts and lives. There's no better blessing than being servants of the king in his kingdom. And that's the good news we get to share with people. But we don't have to worry about going to people saying, can you tell me the condition of your heart? Are you ready to receive what I'm about to throw down for you right now? We don't have to question these things. We were out yesterday with the evangelism team, and I'm so glad to see that happening in our church where people are just going out, and they're just taking the good news to people. But you know what? There are people that are just like right away, walls up. They're like, nope, I don't want to hear it. And we're just like, okay, no problem. But we're going to go and share it with those that are, are wanting and receptive to hear it. It's not our job to convince people. It's not our job to forcibly bring them into the kingdom. That's the Lord's. Our job is just to proclaim the good news that the kingdom is here and that God desires to reign in your lives. That's what it's all about. That's good news. So this parable unlocks for us kind of a a key of looking at all the parables. See, the parables that we're going to be going through this summer, uh, uh, many of them are going to portray the nature of the kingdom of heaven and the heart of its king. So may we have ears to hear and open hearts to receive. So what do we do with this here? First of all, understand 
that things are not always as they appear to be. God is at work. God is at work in our world right now. God's been at work this last year and a half where you're going, God, where are you? Why are we going through this? God is at work. His kingdom is being established, and guess what? It's being represented through the church, through you and I, as we live out this kingdom life with Jesus ruling in our hearts. And he's coming soon, my friends, to usher in his kingdom physically. So don't lose heart. Things are not always as they seem. Today, you might be facing a difficulty, a tragedy, a trial. Tomorrow, we could be sitting in heaven with the Lord, awaiting his return when he ushers in his kingdom. Things are not always as they appear. It certainly wasn't for these people that Jesus is speaking to. Secondly, open your hearts to his truth. Don't get soured or discouraged by things going on around you. Let God rule in your hearts and experience the blessing of this kingdom life that he has for us. I don't know the conditions of all of you. Maybe you are sitting here today and you've maybe had a bit of a hard heart and you've been questioning things of God. You've been dismissing, you've been putting things aside, saying, I'll deal with that another time. And, and maybe you've been hardening your heart. Maybe those of you watching online, I don't know where you're at. But maybe you've hardened your heart to a point where you're saying, I, I'm not ready to receive Jesus as my King, as my Lord and my Savior. I want to encourage you. Jesus has come to set you free and to give you life in him. There's no greater gift than that gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And maybe you've been hardening your heart because you've been questioning the whys of things. Understand, things are not always as they appear. God is at work. And the greatest thing that God wants to do is bring you into his kingdom, bring you into life and relationship with him, which we can't do ourselves. It's not through being a good person. It's not through being a, doing good things. It's through accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's, it's turning from our way of sin, our, our way of life, to say, I want to go God's way. I want to serve him. And if you're here today, and this is calling out to you, and maybe your heart is beating right now saying, yeah, that's me. I want to encourage you. Turn to Jesus today. Don't put that off. Because the more that you put that off, the easier it becomes to keep putting it off. Receive this free gift of Jesus today, this gift of salvation. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin that we can do ourselves. Sin brings death. It brings separation from God. We can't repair that. Only God can. And he did that through his son, Jesus who paid the penalty for our sin and reconciled us now to God through his righteousness. Jesus took all of your sin, all of my sin, and he gave us all of his righteousness so that we could be right with God. Turn to Jesus today. Receive that free gift of salvation. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this word that we can look at. These are difficult scriptures, no doubt, but I pray that today we've been able to make sense of them 
and understand a bit more your heart in teaching parables and how ultimately you, you come to bring grace and mercy to convey truth, but to continue to give people opportunity not to, not to reject the truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be those that are, are just going about your work, casting those seeds out, praying that they fall upon receptive soil, that they take root, and more and more people be added to the kingdom of God. Use us in that, Lord. Lead us on. Soften our hearts to continue to receive your truth. Become more and more like you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.